That's the gospel. How our Lord works. I got to enjoy the was the third Saturday yesterday where our senior group met and uh, had a great time together. Appreciate Noah and the Statzer so much uh, and everyone that came. Uh, we had a lot of fun. It's just good to be with God's people, enjoy one another's company. Um, I'm trying to catch Jeff for official status in there. I'm not too far behind. And uh, just grateful for y'all making me feel at home as... I guess honorary senior there moving in. This morning, um, the title of the message, God's Masterpiece, and we're looking at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and reminded about God's incredible grace. How He's created us. How He's not only specifically formed us, but He's chosen to work through us. What an amazing truth. But I encourage you um, to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10 and ask when you find that to stand in God's honor. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Lord, here we are again, in desperate need of You to speak to our hearts, Lord. Thank You for allowing us to gather and Father, I pray that Your wonderful Spirit might work, Lord, and that we might hear what You want us to hear, and that we might be changed and brought near to You. Father, I just uh, pray for Your Spirit to work, Lord. Help my weak attempt at communication to be energized and by Your Spirit. Amen. The words make sense, Lord. And we just lift it all to You. You are our hope. Guide us in Your wonderful name we ask it. Amen. God is so amazing. And you know, as we looked at earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says that we start out lifeless spiritually. And that amazingly, He breathes life into us through Jesus Christ. That's, that's the good news. That we were dead, that we were without the spiritual vital signs of life, but that God breathed His own life into us through the work of Jesus Christ, guys. And once that happens, there is this ongoing battle that we face to continue to breathe in the life of Jesus Christ. And for that life to flow through us. Uh, a matter of fact, it, the greatest miracle of a genuine Christian is that he so simply exhales Jesus Christ. And our call is to walk with God and to breathe in His Spirit.
Spirit, His life, that we are so filled that what we exhale is Jesus Himself. To a world that is suffocating, well, not suffocating, it's dead. It needs the life of Jesus breathed into them, but we face pollution everywhere. And we need to breathe in Jesus instead of the pollution that surrounds us and and that clouds our thinking and, and that keeps us from living the life and being the life that God intends for us to be. God wants Christ to flow through us clearly. He wants us to be not sunbathers, S-O-N, sunbathers. He wants us to be sun reflectors. You see, my job is not to shine. My job is to reflect Christ. And so is yours. Matter of fact, um, Max Lucado, in one of his great books, read a fairly long excerpt from one of his books because I thought it just communicates this truth so beautifully. Uh, Max writes, he says, Until Copernicus came along in 1543, we earthlings enjoyed center stage. Fathers could place an arm around their children, point to the night sky and proclaim, The universe revolves around us. Ah, the hub of the planetary will, the navel of the heavenly body, the white house of the cosmos. The Ptolemy's second century finding had convinced us, stick a pin in the center of a map of the stars and you found the earth. Dead center. And what's more, dead steel. Let the other planets wander through the skies, not us. No, sir, we stay put as predictable as Christmas. No orbiting, no rotating. Some fickle planets revolve 180 degrees from one day to the next. Not ours. As budges... Budgeless as the rock of Gibraltar, let's hear loud applause for the earth, the anchor of the universe. But then came Nicholas Copernicus with his maps, drawings, bony nose, Polish accent, and pestering questions. On those questions he asked, Can anyone tell me what causes the seasons to change? Why do some stars appear in the day, others at night? Does anyone know exactly how far ships can sail before falling off the edge of the earth? Trivial stuff, people scoffed. Who has time for such problems? But he persisted, pointing a long finger toward the sun. He announced, behold, the center of the solar system. People denied the facts for over half a century. When like-minded Galileo came along, the throne locked him up and the church kicked him out. You'd have thought he called the king a stepchild or the Pope a Baptist. People didn't take well to demotions back then. We still don't. What Copernicus did for the earth, God does for our souls. He points to the sun, his son, and says, Behold, the center of it all. God raised him, Christ, from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, but no name, no power exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything at the center of all this. Christ rules the church. Ephesians 1, 20-22 from the message. When God looks at the universe, He doesn't look at you. When heaven's stagehands direct the spotlight toward the star of the show, I need sunglasses. No light falls on me. Lesser orbs, that's us. Appreciated, valued, loved dearly. But central, essential, critical, nope, sorry. The world does not revolve around us. Our comfort is not God's priority. If it is, something's gone wrong. If we're the primary event, how do we explain challenges like death, disease, rumbling earthquakes? If God exists to please us, then shouldn't we always be pleased? Could a 
Copernicus type shift be in order? Perhaps our place is not at the center of the universe. God does not exist to make a big deal out of us. We exist to make a big deal out of Him. It's not about you. It's about, about, it's not about me. It's, it's about Him. The moon models our role. What does the moon do? She generates no light. Contrary to the lyrics of the song, this harvest moon cannot shine on. Apart from the sun, the moon is nothing more than a pitch black, pockmarked rock. But properly positioned, the moon beams. Let her do what she was made to do, and a clot of dirt becomes a source of inspiration and romance. The moon reflects the greater light, and she's happy to do so. You never hear the moon complaining. She makes no waves about making waves. Let the cow jump over her or astronauts step on her. She never objects. Even though sunning is accepted while mooning is the butt of bad jokes, you won't hear old cheese face grumble. The moon's at peace in her place and because she is, soft light touches the dark earth. What would happen if we accepted our place as sun reflectors? And he goes on, he said, probably something like this. And he mentions a lady, Erin Curry. Uh, mentions this lady, Allison Felix. She set the world record in the 200 meter race and narrowly missed a gold medal at the Olympics. And what's more, she says her running ability is a gift from God. Um, she's the daughter of an ordained minister and professor in New Testament Master Seminary in California. And she set a world junior record of 22.18 seconds. And she won the gold medal in 22.05 seconds. Um, in our country. But when Allison won the silver medal in the world championships, she didn't grasp the significance. She said, I, um, her father said, I don't think she realized what she accomplished. Said if she had, she would have taken a victory lap. <laughs> um, it says, but after the competition, she told the Associated Press she was happy with her finish. I have a lot of confidence. I'm very excited about the future. But even more important is what she said in the interview in today's Christian magazine. Allison said, God gave me this ability. My speed is definitely a gift from Him, and I run for His glory. Whatever I do, He allows me to do it. She had setbacks, she had injuries that knocked her back, that kept her from achieving what many thought she would achieve, but she continued to depend upon God. Her faith was an important part of her life that kept things in perspective. It says the reality is Allison can get from point A to point B faster than most people, and our societies put a big emphasis on that, but that's not significant in light of eternity. So his da her dad says, so we try to remind her God's given her this ability and she's responsible for using it to His glory. And so that's her heart. And, and um, it says she uh, continued on as a major at the University of Southern California trying to spend time in prayer, uh, living out her faith, going to church activities, being involved. And it says, Allison is a sun reflector. Her goal is not to absorb the glory, but to reflect it back to her. And listen to this. Lucado goes on, he says, Most of us, such a shift doesn't come easily, however. We've been demanding our way, stamping our feet since infancy. Aren't we all born with a default drive set on selfishness? I want a family that lets me have my way and friends who always agree with me. It's all about me. Promote me, take care of me, focus on me. It's about me. Aren't we urged to look out for number one, find our place in the sun, make a name for ourselves? We thought celebrating ourselves would make us happy, but what chaos. 
If you think it's all about you, and I think it's all about me, we have no hope of getting along. What would happen if we took our places and played our parts in this universe? If we played the parts God gave us to play, if that was our highest priority? Would we see a change in our families? We'd hear a change. Uh, Less, hear what I want, more, what do you suppose God wants? What if you took that approach? Goals of being popular, part of the in crowd, you'd shelve them. God reflecting would dominate in your body. Um, this, it's mine, I'm going to enjoy it. Thinking would change. It'd be it's God's, I have to respect it. You'd see suffering differently. My pain proves God's absence would be replaced with my pain expands God's purpose. He says we need a shift, a healthy shift, where life would make sense when we accept where we're supposed to be. The, the gift of pleasures, the purpose of problems would be all for Him. God-centered life would be our focus and it would rescue us from a life that doesn't satisfy. How do we make the ship? How can we bump off self-center? <laughs> he says, attend a class, howl at the moon, read a Lucado book. None of these. The author appreciates the last idea. We move from me-focused to God-focused by pondering Him, witnessing Him, following the counsel of the Apostle Paul. Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of Okay, guys, I know that's lengthy, but the point, we're to reflect Christ. Not to simply be sun bathers, not simply to be sun soakers, but to let the glory of Christ not only fill us, but to reflect off of us to a world that desperately needs hope. How does that begin? Where does that come from? It says in the text, it's by grace. Guys, it's by grace you've been saved. It's by the gift of God. God seeing our true state and saying, I love them too much to leave them there. And by He coming, by He suffering, by He dying on a cross, by He being placed in a grave, by He being raised from the dead, by He being the one who is our substitute, by He being the one who has promised and given us life. And by He being the one who lives through us to reach out to the world so that we can reflect God's glory. So that we can be a, a sun reflector. But that happens by grace. That happens through faith. That happens as we reach out in God's power. The trouble though that happens with faith is... You don't see the faith, you see the result of the faith. You can't measure the struggle. You just see the person as he's faithful in the struggle. You see, the miracle of the Christian, as I said at the start of this message, the the miracle of the Christian is the simple, powerful way he exhales Jesus Christ. So how does that happen? It happens by the gift of God, not by my own power. You notice what it says here. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Years ago when Muhammad Ali was in his prime, he got on an airplane and they went through the normal procedures. You know, please buckle, you know, get in your seat, fasten your seatbelt, prepare for takeoff. So the stewardess came over to Muhammad Ali and he didn't have his seatbelt on. 
And she said, Sir, please fasten your seatbelt and prepare for flight. And Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The stewardess calmly looked over at the champ and said, Sir, Superman don't need an airplane either. Please buckle your seatbelt. You know, the truth of the matter is, I may be good, but not good enough to get by without a Savior. And so what's the call? God calls me to buckle the seatbelt of His grace through Jesus Christ so that I'm secure. So that on that trip that takes me through the heavens to the glory of the place God has reserved for me, the way to get there is to be buckled safely and securely through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Man, if you sit me up in the air, guess what's going to happen because of gravity? I'm going to fall. And as a friend of mine says, I don't mind the fall. It's a sudden stop I don't like. And the truth of the matter is, there is a sudden stop without Jesus Christ called eternity. That's a place of suffering. And it's a place that many times we don't like to talk about. And many churches have kind of written it out of the sermons. But yet Jesus talked about it more than He did heaven. Because it's a real place. And we need a Savior to protect us and to give us a secure ride as we travel toward that place He's reserved for us. It, it's, it's by grace. And, and in the meantime, guys, He's given us a job to follow Him and a strength to follow Him. This is from Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. that just reminds us it's not about what we earn. It's about the gift He provides. It says, if you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job's too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust Him to do it, you can never do it for yourself, no matter how hard and how long you work, well, that trusting Him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God. Sheer gift. We don't understand. Everything we do is based on our performance, it seems. We get that paycheck because we were faithful to do a job. But that's not what God did. He did the job. And we received the paycheck. That's grace. God did what we could not possibly do so that we can receive what we possibly don't deserve. That's grace. And the amazing thing about it is He loves each of us so much. And even if we tried to earn it, how do you earn it? Um, where do you set the scale? Well, let's see. Uh, I think if you do three good works a day, that'd be enough to get you to heaven. Somebody else would argue, what about six? We need six good works a day to get you to heaven. Someone said, no, twelve. Where does it end? And even so, if, if I need to do six a day, if I skip a day, does that mean I need to do twelve the next day or? Then I'm in the hole and fighting this battle, impossible battle. Or what if it's to give half of everything I own away? But the homeless guy over there doesn't have anything, so he's not on the same playing field. So how does that work since he doesn't have the same amount to give away that I do? No, it's grace. It's, it's not some scale that we've set up to earn our way to God's favor. No, it's, it's His gift. And the beauty of it is He loves all of us no matter where we are, no matter what we possess, no matter our social position 
or our monetary position. He loves you because you are His masterpiece. Verse 10, it says, we're His workmanship. It's the word poema in the Greek. And it's the word that we translate poem. Each of you is His masterpiece. Each of you is sitting on His easel. Each of you, he are, are the canvas is there and the perfect painter has out his paints and, and he is painting you. Some are in somber, drab type colors because there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of disappointment, a lot of struggle. Others have those happy hues, those colors that show a life of excitement, a, a, a life of blessing, a, a life of laughter. But that doesn't mean that any of His portraits means any less to Him because He's the perfect painter and He's chosen to paint you and create you. And plus, the portrait's not done yet. He's still at work. He's still painting. He's still creating. He, he's still working. We don't know what He has in store, but we know He's at work. And that we can trust Him as He, as He paints, as He beautifully works in our lives. He took us from Death Valley up to Mount Whitney, that highest peak, and He's still at work. He wants us to breathe Him in and He wants us to exhale His grace wherever we go. To give credit to Him instead of trying to always take the credit. Guys, it's our heart. It's our job. That His grace would flow over our sin. I close with this illustration um, that I found in my study. It says, A few drops of a dark colored ink in a glass of water will turn the water dark. But put the glass under a kitchen faucet and turn on the water full force and the pressure of the water will soon flush out all the dark color leaving a glass full of clear water. The ink abounds in its effect on the water, turning it dark. But the clean water from the faucet superabounds. It flows abundantly with such force it erases all the effects of the ink. The grace of God flows so superabundantly that it covers you and erases all the effects of sin. And that's His work. That's our hope. And that's His continued plan for you, His workmanship. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank You for this message. Um, As we approach You, Lord, it's all about grace. And there could be one here today who has never, just never stopped and really, really examined where he or she is, Lord dead, without life, without hope before a holy God. And understanding though that God's provided the gift to pay the price for sin and to provide forgiveness and a new start. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to any heart that's in that place this morning and that that person might find a new new start, a new hope, forgiveness by your grace. Father, you have a plan. For those of us who have been part of your family for a while, maybe we've let the pollution of this world choke us, suffocate us, muddy our thinking, 
and our spiritual health. Father, may we step out now and breathe in the pure, life-giving breath of You through Jesus Christ and be filled and cleaned and ready for service as Your workmanship. That as You paint, Lord, there might be Jesus all over the canvas. And uh, that's our hope. That's our heart. What do you want to do, Lord? Uh, Our invitation is open. uh, An altar to pray at. place to come to, to share decisions. But Father, regardless, it's all about you. We want to be more than sun bathers. We want to be more than sun soakers. We want to be reflectors of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would do a work toward that end. In the wonderful name of our Lord, we ask it. Amen.